Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 7 at verse 15. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 15 of chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, where it says this. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns which were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Highest One, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Then he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of his kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, and will wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So we find here in the second half of chapter 7 the interpretations that this one angel sort of steps out uh, evidently from a group of people or a group of persons there, uh, uh, angelic beings, perhaps. He says uh, one of those who were standing by. Evidently there was there was uh, somewhat of a cluster of angels and maybe any one of them could have given this interpretation, but one of them stepped forward to interpret this vision that Daniel had about these four 
great beasts, and then the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. That was in the first uh, half of the chapter. And we went into a little bit more detail, perhaps, uh, based on the verse um, 17, where the angel interprets this for us, where it says, these great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. So we've already uh, uh, reviewed, you might say, in the first half of uh, uh, chapter 7 in the previous episode about those four beasts. And the identity of those four beasts are completely uh, overlaid on the identity of those four main kingdoms of the statue the dream statue that Nebuchadnezzar had back in chapter 2 of Daniel. And the interpretation of that statue was, of course, that the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar and the... um, the Babylonian kingdom. And then after that came the torso and arms of silver. And of course, that represented uh, a lesser kingdom. That's what was told to uh, Nebuchadnezzar by Daniel, that uh, an inferior kingdom was going to uh, take over the Babylonian kingdom. And that was the arms and the torso of silver. That's the Medo-Persian empire. Now, historically speaking, we have actually already seen that happen in uh, chapter 5, where, uh, where the Medes and the Persians took over. And, uh, and that was the end of chapter 5. So uh, Daniel had already lived that long, although this vision here in chapter 7 actually occurred several years before that, uh, during the reign of Belshazzar, which was uh, uh, the son of uh, one of the other descendants of Nebuchadnezzar. And so we find then the rest of that dream in chapter 2 talks about the abs, <laughs> the, the, uh, the thighs of bronze, and that's the Greece empire. And uh, that, of course, was under the direction, at least for a short amount of time, uh, Alexander the Great, although he's never named in this book anywhere, and yet uh, his identity will eventually be revealed. We'll get to that later in uh, the book of Daniel. But it, it is enough to know now that Greece is that third kingdom. And then finally, from what we know from studying our own history since then, that the fourth kingdom is Rome. The Rome is the kingdom that conquered Greece. Rome is the one that took over the earth. Now, not all the earth the way we would we would think of it today in scientific terms, but in terms, or even geographical terms, uh, in terms of our uh, global understanding. But it was all the earth as far as Israel was concerned, because that's the significance of these four kingdoms. They they uh, take over the whole region around Israel, the whole region around uh, the East, uh, that is the uh, the eastern Mediterranean coast, and uh, that's the significance of these four kingdoms. And they they evidently, according to Daniel chapter two, and according to somewhat uh, we can tell from this chapter, that they take over after each other. They are sequential. They do not exist necessarily in in. Um, uh, 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 contemporary with each other, although uh, in terms of uh, their identity they exist, but in prominence they take over from the last one. And so their dominance is uh, in some sort of a sequence. And so that's the way it is here with these four 
beasts. And that's what Daniel wants us to know. So the first part of the chapter is the dream of the monsters, and that's uh, verses 1 through 8. Then comes the Ancient of Days, that's verses 9 through 12 of chapter 7. Then the Son of Man is revealed in verses 13 and 14. So now we have the revelation by by uh, this angel messenger he interprets this dream, this this uh, vision for Daniel, uh, verses fifteen through eighteen, and then uh, Daniel wants. He's just so curious. It's like uh, this telescope or this microscope, however you want to uh, uh, symbolize it. He. He wants to focus in on some of these dramatic details that catches his attention. And it seems as though the the angel wants to give him the broad sweep, and yet Daniel is just so uh, focused on these details, especially about that fourth beast and about that fourth, uh, that uh, one uh, prominent king that erupts out of uh, a ten-nation confederacy, or at least a ten uh, conglomerate within the Roman Empire. So that's that's kind of what's going on here. And so Daniel's just fascinated by that in verses nineteen through twenty-two, and then. Uh, uh, the angel comes back in with his own interpretation, verses 23 through 27 of the dominion of the Most High, and then finally is the end of the revelation and its impact on Daniel himself. So we find then in the last half of chapter 7 is where we are, where Daniel um, uh, starts getting this uh, broad sweep of interpretation from the from this angel that's standing by. He's in. It's very brief, actually. Uh, verses seventeen and eighteen. It says, "These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth." But and look at his attention. The angel wants to draw Daniel's attention to a fifth kingdom. It's not the four Gentile kingdoms. The fifth kingdom is God's kingdom. Look at this. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for ages to come, for all ages to come is what it says. So the angel wants to draw Daniel's attention away from some of the drama evidently, that the, these visions gave to him and draw his attention that, don't you see, Daniel, this is leading somewhere, and it's not going to be the final result. Uh, it may seem final in your eyes by looking at it. This is awesome, and it's it's uh, it's not glorious. It's just uh, it's terrifying is what it is. It's, it's horror. This is more like a nightmare than a vision, and, uh, uh, and so uh, the angel seems to be so concerned. Don't worry, Daniel. This has an end to it. This is not the end. There will be a new beginning. That new beginning will be another kingdom established by those who are the saints of the highest one and uh, the, the highest one himself will possess the kingdom forever and all ages. Well, that doesn't quite satisfy Daniel. You see, he wants to get into some of these details, which is just about the way we are, don't you think? That we want to get into the juicy parts of prophecy, and we don't really, uh, we're not really interested in the glory that's to come, or the in the eternal uh, state of things that God wants to organize, and yet, uh, uh, yet we want to focus on some of the other stuff 
stuff that uh, seemed to uh, maybe distract us. Well, we're maybe not that different from Daniel. Daniel says, says that, uh, he says, I desire to know uh, the exact meaning of the fourth beast. You see, this this whole thing is is very confusing, and it is to many people. It was to Daniel, so don't feel bad. But you see, there is that first beast, which is a lion with eagle's wing. Well, that represents the uh, kingdom of Babylon. Then there is a bear that's raised up on on one side, one shoulder, and that is is very naturally a um, a representation of the Medo Persian Empire. Then you see, after that comes uh, the third beast, which is a a four headed leopard with uh, four wings, which speak of of its its uh, speed, its quickness, its uh, its agility, and. Um, not necessarily as a kingdom, but maybe as a as a military uh, type of operation of conquering the former beast. And then comes this fourth beast, which is a monster of all sorts, which Daniel can't even draw together the descriptions about this fourth beast. And so he's drawn to that almost. Uh, it's a fearful thing. Uh, because it's it's dreadful. It says the teeth of iron and claws of bronze. What's interesting is uh, even parts of his this animal monster uh, carries with it some of the same metallic uh, substances that was originally in that uh, statue in Daniel chapter two. So you see that this is a composite, uh, and it's it's more like a lumbering monster. It it is crushing other kingdoms. Well, we'll be back to this right after this break. Welcome back. So we're in the second half of chapter seven of the book of Daniel. When and Daniel is rehearsing for the angel the, the things he wants to uh, focus in on because these are the things that catch his attention and these are the things that are most uh, fearful and most mysterious. And so he wants to know this. This is this fourth Gentile kingdom that will dominate the nation of Israel and the Middle East. And uh, this is, of course, the one that we recognize as being Rome. Now, not all of these things are... are uh, fulfilled in our past history, but they give us a clue about what is to be anticipated in our future as well as in uh, in the uh, future of the uh, nation of Israel and in the Roman Empire, you might say. And so uh, this is a monster, and it, it's not described in, in terms of speed. It's, in, it's uh, more in terms of just sheer raw power, crushing and trampling everything in its feet, verse 19. And then uh, uh, there are these ten horns on the head of this 
uh, enormous, monstrous beast. And uh, those ten horns actually um, then uh, become this one little horn uh, crops up and, and destroys the three others. They uproot three of those ten. So this horn represents what you might call an eleventh horn, but because three of them are are uh, uh, taken out and uprooted, then you see there are only uh, him and these uh, the other seven left. So it says... Uh, it says that uh, he came up and that he had eyes and mouth uttering great boasts, which was larger in appearance than its associates. So this horn be, became, started out as a little horn, but became bigger than all the others. And it has this human arrogance about it. And that that is the indication to Daniel that this is not just a, a symbol. This represents a, this represents a person and this represents a leader person, a king person, a monarch, or a dictator, a tyrant, you might say. And uh, that is what is now the um, uh, represented in this beast that Daniel is so um, uh, attracted to, at least in, in terms of his curiosity. He says he kept looking, and that uh, that little horn became bigger than all the others, and it overpowered the saints. That is disturbing to Daniel, the fact that he would destroy and go after the saints of God. That means the Jewish people, the remnant of, of the Jewish people, and uh, he will try to destroy them. He will be the ultimate anti-Semite. He will try to destroy those who follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, he's called the Ancient of Days in this passage. And and the uh, and Daniel notices, of course, that there will be judgment, and the saints will will gain the kingdom through the power of the Ancient of Days and the time uh, that the saints will take over the kingdom. So Daniel knows the story. He knows the narrative. He knows the end game, you might say. And yet he's so fascinated by this fourth beast and this one little horn that destroys three horns ahead of it and uh, then, then becomes bigger than all the others and tries to destroy the saints of God. So the, uh, the angel steps back in with more interpretation for us and for Daniel, of course. And it says the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, uh, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it again. He's not talking about the entire globe here. That's not the context. The context is the earth that involves the Holy Land, the earth that involves the land promised to Israel and to the Jewish people living in that land. That is what is intriguing. That is what Jesus called the times of the Gentiles. And that's exactly what he lived in. Yes, he was Jewish. Yes, there was a Jewish uh, structure. Yes, there was a Jewish temple. There was Jewish uh, authorities there. There were Jewish uh, leadership there. There were the priesthood there. But all of this Judaism that existed at Jesus' day was, was being dominated by the Roman Empire, this very kingdom, you see. And that's that's why Jesus called it the times of the Gentiles. So uh, he talks about this, uh, this, one, uh, this one little horn that comes up. He subdues three horns uh, in, his, uh, in his place, and uh, he will try to make alterations. 
He will wear down the saints of the Most High and will, will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will uh, be given into his hand for a, a time, times, and a half a time. You see, he has a schedule that uh, God has already prescribed for him, and that is this time, times, and a half of time. That uh, uh, we don't know exactly what that is, but by comparing Scripture with Scripture and verses with verses, then we come to the conclusion that this refers to one time, that is one year. The plural times, that is two years. And then uh, half a time, that is half a year. So that refers to uh, 42 months or 1260 days. And, uh, and it refers to three and a half years total. It's a kind of a cryptic saying, but that's exactly what it uh, turns out to be by, by comparing some scriptures with other scriptures. So in many regards, we already have uh, revealed to us here in this passage, uh, in this fourth beast, several phases of this beast, the establishment of the Roman Empire, number one, the 10 kings that arise, those 10 horns, that's phase two, but it's still the Roman Empire, you see. Then this little horn uh, uproots three of those 10 leaders, and he becomes prominent. That is phase three. And then he becomes so prominent that he's dominant. And that means he completely takes over the entire Roman Empire. And uh, that is uh, another phase. That's phase four. But it's still all based upon the Roman Empire. So he he uh, he is given over ultimately for this three and a half year period, uh, and that is that fourth phase of the Roman Empire. But the court will sit in judgment. Now this is the good news here, uh, that uh, that God sees all of this and He allows all of this so that He can judge all of it with with uh, justice, and so that no one can wring their hands going, I think uh, God is unfair, or I think God uh, doesn't know what he's doing, or uh, they don't really don't deserve this, and, uh, and God is letting it all play out. But he doesn't let it play out ultimately because uh, that would destroy the earth, that would destroy humanity. And so he, he basically says, this is where judgment steps in. This is a limited amount of time of three and a half years, and that's all the time I'm giving him. And, uh, and so, so you see, there is a limit to, uh, to what God will put up with, you might say, in the evil of the world, especially in powerful places. And so he's going to uh, judge uh, this, this, uh, this uh, uh, tyrant, this dictator, whatever you, you want to call him, this monarch, this king of this uh, Roman Empire, this final phase of this Roman Empire after this three-and-a-half-year period. And he says he will be uh, taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. He's not 
coming back, this person. And uh, we, of course, in the New Testament know this person by name in many regards. We call him the Antichrist. But uh, uh, Daniel doesn't know him by that name yet because Jesus hasn't come to present himself as the Messiah yet. And so uh, that's not the, the label here. He's not called the Antichrist, but he's definitely against the saints of the Most High. And uh, that's what he's called, or the saints of the highest one. He's the enemy of them. And uh, and he says, and, and that's exactly what the judgment will be. The sovereignty and dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. So there will be a regime change. It will be a dramatic re- regime change because God will now take over the earth. He will take over the, the running of the earth through the Messiah, the Son of Man. And so the highest one is, is the Ancient of Days will deliver liver uh this kingdom to his own son, and he will, and they will. That kingdom will be delivered to the saints, and so it says that his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and dominions will serve and obey him. You see, this was pictured originally in Nebuchadnezzar's dream when the statue was bowled over by this stone uh, that was uh, made without hands. That means it was not human construction at all. It was it was something that God had carved out, and that stone was the Messiah. The Messiah then uh, in his kingdom took over all the other Gentile kingdoms and established his own kingdom. It says that that stone in Daniel chapter 2 became a mountain of its own. It was a kingdom of its own. You see, so Daniel chapter 7 parallels the same ideas as Daniel chapter 2. If you don't get anything else, at least uh, read through Daniel chapter 2 once again, read through Daniel chapter 7 once again, and try to read them side by side, parallel to parallel, perhaps even flipping back and forth, and you will see that these things overlay each other. And uh, what's interesting is uh, some people say, well, what about the Roman Empire? It seems to have faded away. Well, exactly. It wasn't destroyed and it wasn't judged. It just faded out of its dominance. But the Roman Empire was never actually defeated, but it actually just disintegrated. In some ways, our own democratic form of government is actually a descendancy of the idea of the Roman Senate. And uh, uh, much of our official government architecture actually does reflect the Greco-Roman style of architecture in many of our official buildings. We have a numerical system of Roman numerals that still is used today in the 21st century to, uh, to designate certain important events and certain important documents. Uh, we have the, the scientific language that has been adopted to classify and name all sorts of uh, uh, classifications in our uh, uh, plant world and in our animal world, and it's all done in Latin, which is the, the remnant, or you might say, of the Roman Empire. Our calendar is based on the Roman calendar. Our uh, uh, the, the state of Italy still exists, and Rome is still its capital. So there is a sense in which the Roman Empire is still here, still around us in many ways. It's just not been organized to the state uh, 
of having a ten, uh, a ten kingdom uh, conglomerate or a single uh tyrant that takes over uh, by removing three of them. We haven't seen that scene taken place yet, but that is still yet in the future, I believe. And, uh, and yet the Roman Empire is that final empire that will be prominent again over the nation of Israel and over the earth that the nation of Israel inhabits. And that will be a tragic thing, but it's only going to be three and a half years long until the Ancient of Days makes a judgment and we wait upon his judgment and we wait upon his kingdom. And in fact, that's what Jesus told us to pray for, to pray that your kingdom come. That's what we're praying for. We ask God to send his kingdom because that is the beginning of a new era of serving him. Father, I thank you for these passages that unfold for us our own history in many regards, the history of the nation of Israel in many regards, and we look to it for insight to determine what is in store in the future, but we do so cautiously. We do so by asking your Holy Spirit to fill us with your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>